Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime. With Kaylin and Elena. Hi Kaylin. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. I'm really excited for you to hear. Okay, when it... So, <laughs> we are recording this. Two weeks Two, out? yeah, well, a two week. Two weeks before yes. it comes out. Right. And so... The pr previous two episodes that you guys have heard, I was not here for. I was up visiting my son in college, and so Kaylin invite had very, 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 very special guests with her during my absence. Which I'm really excited for you to hear these episodes. <laughs> I need to edit them, but... And I warned Maria ahead of time. I'm like, he's going to have a lot of dad jokes. He's going to think he's funnier than he is. <laughs> Please do not instigate him. And, and what do you think she did? She instigated him. The entire time. And she loved every minute of, of it. she did. <laughs> so, but it was a lot of fun. And we, in the last episode, we did talk about OJ. Oh, good. Quite a bit. Um, my dad has a, has a different opinion than most. Oh, does he? He does. Is and he one of the OJ apologists? Believes he's innocent? He, yeah, the, the glove didn't fit. Oh my god, no. Uh -huh. He's one of those? Uh-huh. Well, and then yeah. I found out later that that's not how he felt when everything was happening. And we also, I had brought up last week that we were going to have to do an episode just on OJ. Probably an, a bonus. See, it's funny because when this was going on, I would fight with my mother horribly about it. Because she would claim he was innocent at the time, but she has since... Flipped. flipped and come to the right conclusion, which is that, of course, he's completely guilty. Well, my dad says that, one, the glove didn't fit, and he says that we don't have a perfect justice system, but we have the best in the world, and he was put in front of a jury of his beer peers, and they found him innocent, and I called bullshit because those were not a jury of his peers. No. He is a celebrity. Right. What I think should have happened, I don't think he should have gotten a jury. I think he should have gotten a judge panel. Yeah, th that's tough, too, when you're dealing with somebody famous, you know, like, you know, prior to the commission of their crimes. And especially somebody like that who had that very carefully cultivated nice guy image. But this was another case, too, when you listen to some of those police recordings and you know how many times the police have been to their house for domestic abuse issues, you know, and all of that yep. stuff. It's just, you know, it's 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 another one of those cases that you, you end up feeling a lot of rage that all of that was pretty carefully suppressed. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean, maybe it was known in local circles, but... Yeah, and yeah. I mean, he's not fully that he's innocent. It's more of like, if he did it, someone helped him. He, he didn't do it alone. He... Uh, part of him said that, like, Kato Kalin helped and Well, I'm not totally opposed to that idea. I yeah. mean, obviously, he definitely had help afterwards covering it up. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know who or I wouldn't dare to put forth a theory, but I've always kind of felt like there were other people involved yeah. in, on, on different levels. So. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about doing an episode just around OJ, which is bigger than the cases we normally cover right. so we'd probably do a bonus episode i'd love to have my dad on it though just yeah so, because we are both very much like oj did it of course and he is kind of on the other side of the fence we're like he might have but he probably didn't and so i think it'd be a good balance, balance. 
But I'm really excited for you to hear those episodes because okay. they're fun. <laughs> they were I, fun. I'm excited too. So. My dad did much more research and got much more into it than I expected him to. So I was pretty proud. Nice. Very nice. Proud daughter moment. Yeah. <laughs> so shout, shout out to Kaylin's dad for for being our very extra special guest. So and hopefully we'll be so again. So, well, you'll like my case this week, Ben, because there's absolutely no ambiguity about it. There's no death penalty, so you don't have anybody, you know, rotting away. In fact, there's no trial at all. Oh, so, even better. Yeah, so I think you're really, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. Hopefully put my, <laughs> my cranky mood away for a little bit. Yes, yes. So we are covering today a neighboring state, Utah. And my case actually takes place in the capital of Utah. And it's all, actually a city I've spent an, a lot of time in, which is Salt Lake City. And contrary to where a lot of people, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea about Salt Lake City. Like they, obviously the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, aka the Mormons, although they don't want to be called the Mormons anymore, um, <clears throat> is headquartered there. So there's definitely a strong presence. But as far as the uh, the people who live there, around half, and I think now it's even fallen below half, are, are actually LDS. And out of those who are LDS, less than half of those are what are called active members of the church, meaning that they actually live the principles and go to church and do all yeah. the things you're supposed to do. So, And it has a very thriving um, gay community there. Mm-hmm. Um pretty strong underground independent music scene. So there's a lot of cool things going on. So should you ever find yourself in Salt Lake, um, check out the Holiday Inn Express downtown on South and West Temple. I'm going to need you to text that to me so the next time I go visit my sister, I can drive by by or stop or something. If you do stop, Watch out for the ghosts. Yay! This I love ghosts. So, I I mean, I mean. <laughs> so this is a, a site in Salt Lake that often gets put on one of its most haunted places, and that's because of the absolutely horrific and almost incomprehensible crime that occurred there. So prior to being the Holiday Inn Express downtown, it was a lovely Shiloh Inn, and... Prior to that, it was the International Dunes Hotel, which sounds like it should actually be in Las Vegas, Nevada, rather than Salt Lake City, but it was a hotel that was there for quite a long time. It was fairly famous. Um, For one, it had neon lighting on the outside that did kind of make it look like a Vegas hotel, although it was pretty understated. You can see pictures of it online. It was often called one of the ugliest hotels in Salt Lake City, if not in Utah entirely, because it was a very blocky building, and the neon did more to make it look cheap and tacky than um, actually making it look pretty. And lastly, it's the site of one of the weirdest murder-suicide stories in the state, if not in the country. Now, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit because I do know a little bit about what we're about to talk about. Right. But weirdest, definitely. Yes. So our crime takes place on the 3rd of August, 1978, when 38-year-old Rebecca David 
stands on the 11th floor balcony of her hotel room. It's actually a suite of rooms with her seven children. There's Elizabeth, who's 15, Rachel, 14, Joshua, 10, Deborah, who's nine, Joseph, age eight, David, age six. So his name was David David. And that lastly, was weird. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, okay, never mind. I'm yeah. not going to say it yet. Okay. And lastly, Rebecca, age five. So they had been living in this hotel for more than a year with their father, a man named Emmanuel David, who had actually been born Bruce Longo, but several years prior to this had had his name changed. Every day they paid the bill in cash, $90. They just go down to the front desk, pay their $90 for the day, which... What, do, what, what does he do? Well, that's what we're going to get into. And I think to this day that's still somewhat at least of a mystery. Where were they getting all this money? Because, you know, that was like over $30,000 for the year to live there for yeah. the family. That's not including food. food and... and During the more than a year that they had been there, everyone who encountered them said that they were complete loners. They, were, they stayed very, very isolated. They didn't mix with other guests at the hotel. The children did not go to school. Apparently, they were being quote-unquote homeschooled because Utah, like Idaho, has pretty lax homeschooling laws. Although, I think Utahs are, are actually a little more, are a little stronger than Idaho. Idaho's are ridiculous. But anyway, um, there's absolutely no oversight at all. You just tell, you just say, hey, I'm homeschooling my kid. That's the end of the story. Nobody checks up on you. There's no curriculum. You're not held accountable in any way. What? Yeah, most people don't really, look it up, people. Most people do not realize, yeah, Idaho has absolutely positively no oversight and parents are under no obligation to provide any proof whatsoever of the type of education they're giving their children at home. That's bonkers, first of all. And I mean, my son's five now, so he, or he's about to turn five, so he's about to start school. And I've got a lot of issues with the public school system. So do I. And so I've talked a lot. I've said a lot that like I would ho I like the more every day I want to homeschool him. I didn't realize that was such a thing though. I feel like that would make me nervous. Like I'm not doing everything I need right. to be doing. I feel like I need something. Like if I'm gonna homeschool my kid, I'm gonna need some sort of curriculum right or something to follow yeah you and, know what I mean to make and, sure he's like at where he needs to be and they are out there yeah. you know like I said the state just doesn't require that you you follow any of them so huh. so despite having this large family with young children they never were seen using the hotel swimming pool at all That's weird. yeah and they just seem to have stayed mostly within their suite of rooms um the children were all described as being well-groomed, very, very polite, fairly quiet, and it was noted that they never spoke to anybody without their father's express permission. So these are all kind of, you know, kind of red flaggy sorts of things. Uh -huh. So their father, by the way, was not standing on the balcony with them. We'll get back to him in a little bit. Now, as you may have assumed, with our seven children, and as I read their ages, this was your kind of stereotypical Mormon family. Mm -hmm. However, 
Bruce Longo, as his name was before he changed it to Emmanuel David, had been excommunicated from the LDS Church some years before. Oh, so that's why he changed his name. Um, no, it's oh. not. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, now, thought I was smart those, there for a if, second. Yeah, if we have any listeners who are LDS, they know that excommunication is a very it's a very serious process. Um, it's not something that is done lightly. You. People who are excommunicated are called before a church court. There's quite a process to it. But then it's kept quiet. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not going to talk about why somebody was excommunicated usually. So do we not know why he was excommunicated? We don't. Dang. And I, I don't know if now, if there's any way that, to find out. <clears throat> At the time when the original newspaper accounts came out, the only thing that Mormon officials would say was that he was constantly warning them of impending disasters, you know, end of the world kind of stuff, and also demanding a share of the church's money. So he does go on to found a cult that consists mostly of his immediate family members. He changes his name to date, his last name to David claiming that he is a descendant of the house of David, which there's, you know, all kinds of the theological stuff there that yeah. I'm not even going to get into. And he claims that he is God and Jesus Christ in one. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling that's probably more of what was going on prior to the actual excommunication that he was, you know, claiming to get to to either actually be God and Jesus Christ or at least claiming that he had some sort of revelations that were contradictory to the church's teachings and that's why he got exed. So, hmm. yeah. And I mean, we see this quite often with people especially in the true crime right <clears throat> like area that you see a lot of people claiming to be God. Right. Or or associated with some sort of weirdly fundamentalist culty yeah sorts of things whether they found it themselves or are associated in some way we so, do see it a lot yes so this isn't much a surprise right and the thing is his family members like you said you know i said a few of his and i i couldn't find obviously like a list or anything like that but apparently his wife and children were also very devoted to him and believed all of these things that he said. He had another follower who had also changed his last name to David, Matthias David. And he had been convicted of wire fraud. So when you were asking a little bit ago, where were they getting their money? This seems to be at least one source of their income. Wire fraud? Yes. So what Matthias David had been doing is he had been asking people for money, claiming that he had a stepdaughter who had been badly injured in a car accident and he needed funds for her. Mm. And then people would send him money. And that's why it's called wire fraud. Because they would wire that money. Right. Well, yeah. in 1978, he was either soliciting probably through the phone or, yeah, you know, through some form of communication like that. And it's still, I believe, you know, would you do it on the, you know, through the internet or the whatever. The GoFundMes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that's still wire fraud. And anyway, so Matthias David had actually pled guilty to this and had been convicted. And 
this was probably one of the things that precipitates what's about to happen because okay. this probably was a main source of their income and it had been cut off. So two days prior to this 3rd of August, 1978, Emmanuel David, who was six foot four, weighed over 300 pounds, wore, <laughs> wore a full beard, long hair that he braided. His body had been found in a borrowed van at the top of a nearby canyon, dead of carbon monoxide poisoning. So he had committed suicide. Okay. Yeah. So if you're God and you're Jesus, uh -huh. I don't quite that's know a, how that works. That's exactly where my mind was. That's, but, why, I, that's why I acknowledged it with that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So, and so two days later, this is why we find his wife, Rebecca, with their seven children, standing on the 11th floor balcony of their hotel room. And it appears that at least the three older kids do what's about to happen willingly because chairs were found stacked up against the balcony. Because you know how balconies are kind of high for safety mm -hmm. so that they could get up high enough to leap over the edge. Over the edge, 11 floors below, which the older three do. Rebecca, meanwhile, is taking the younger children and hurling them over the balcony as horrified bystanders down below watch and scream, beg with her to stop. And in fact, one of the younger children, and this part, I'm going to try to get through it without crying because it just devastated me when I was reading about it. One of the younger children managed to grab onto the balcony and she pried their fingers off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and like one of the witnesses that saw this was 16 years old at the time. I mean, I cannot imagine the horror of this on both sides. That is insanity. Yeah. Who does? So we have talked about a, a lot about how women are often looked at as the more nurturing and this, this and that. I feel like here in our podcast, we have done a nice job of proving people very wrong. Of debunking all of that. Yeah, yeah. because we both talked quite a, about quite a few women killers. And not only that, but women who are killing children or their own children that... Yeah, and this, this is particularly horrific. Finally, after all seven of her children were lying down below, dying or dead. But anyway, <laughs> Rebecca <Nope>. David <laughs> leaps over the edge of the balcony to her own death. She and four of the children die immediately upon impact. Two others are taken to the hospital and they later die. Okay. However. Someone lives. One of them who was at first identified as Elizabeth. And in fact, the, one of the original articles that I read named her as Elizabeth. That who came was the out, oldest. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that came out the day of, you know, the, 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 the crime. So yeah, Elizabeth was 15. Okay. Although it wasn't Elizabeth, it was the next daughter down, Rachel, who was 14. And okay. Rachel is taken to the hospital, immediately taken into surgery, and the doctor was even saying, I don't think she's going to make it. However, after many months in the hospital and many surgeries, she does in fact survive, although 
she is confined to a wheelchair. So this, if you're, if you've been here for a while, this won't surprise you. If you're new here, sorry, you're about to learn that I say things that sound really <laughs> fucked up. I kind of, so seeing as Rachel, who was the one that lived, was also one of the three who left willingly, kind of makes me mad and I kind of wish it was one of the younger children that right. would have lived. And because, <laughs> because like at least I feel like the younger ones probably didn't understand. No. Especially like the cultier side of the family. They didn't really understand what was happening. They didn't have a chance in their life to make these decisions for themselves. Now, Rachel and her older brother and Elizabeth right. were 14 and up. They had the opportunity. Granted, they were probably very much mind brainwashed. Exactly. But they did make the choice to leap. Right. And So just to, to correct you for a moment. So Elizabeth was 15, Rachel was 14, and, and Joshua then, was 10. Okay, so I mixed the two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So... It just, I feel like it would have been, it would have been in everyone's best interest if it was one of the younger ones that would have lived. Right. But that's just my own angry. Well, and you're going to feel even more so that way when mm. I finish my story, which I'm not quite done with, okay? So, um, like I said, she is in the hospital for several months and was eventually put into a foster family. But in 1993... The TV show Inside Edition, if any of you remember that, tracked her down, found her. And at the time, she was living with an uncle named Leonard Erickson. In the interview, she maintains her father was, in fact, God and Jesus Christ and would be back. Ugh. And that's the last time that I could find that she's ever spoken or, or said anything. So, but still, this happened in 1978. In 1993, after everything she's endured, she is still holding fast to this delusion. What, 15 and, years later? Yes. In KSL.com, KSL is one of the big news or one of the big channels, sorry, in Salt Lake. On the 15th of August, 2008, so they had run a, you know, 30th year anniversary special on this crime. They found Matthias David, the one who had been convicted of wire fraud, was a member of the cult. And in fact, the KSL.com article, the title is about how this tiny cult associated with this crime is still active in Salt Lake City. They interview Mat Matthias David. He still maintains that Emmanuel David was God and Jesus. He had just recently, in the weeks prior to this story airing, um, been sending letters to the leadership of the LDS Church claiming that Emmanuel David was God and Jesus and they had wronged him and yada, yada, yada. And he predicted that though he himself would never do anything violent, that, quote, fire from the sky was going to come and destroy all of Emmanuel David's enemies. When asked about Rachel, this only survivor, all he would say was that she is now living in Sandpoint, Idaho, in a, quote, real nice care center. And he also maintained that when he 
pled guilty in 1978 to wire fraud, that that wasn't true. He had not actually done that. And that's the last information I could find out. So as of 2008, Matthias David's still running around Salt Lake City with a few other of these people who truly believe that this guy was God and Jesus, the only survivor of this horrific tragedy, was living up in Sandpoint, Idaho. And that's all I could find out. So, no death penalty, no long waiting for trials, and this case is probably almost worse than any of those that we've ever talked about that have those things. These are bun a bunch of delusional idiots is what it is. And I'm not normally, so I'm not, I have, I'm not against religion. I am not against the thought of a higher being, a God or whatever it is that people believe in. I'm not against that. What I am against is most structured religions. Right. Because there is so much wrong with most, most structured religions. Right. There's so much wrong with it. And normally I let people have their thoughts, their opinions. <laughs> and if we can still get along outside of each other's thoughts and opinions, that's great. And... I'm not normally one to call people delusional idiots when it comes to religion things, oh, but the, the, this, they are delusional right. idiots. Well, and what this kind of reminded me of a little bit too, um, with the Mormonism, that part of it, is that recently on Netflix, you know, what's, I think it's called In Plain Sight, the little girl over in Pocatello, Idaho, You've seen that. Okay. I haven't seen it, okay. but I know what it is. Well, I, know I think, yeah. And I mean, there's been a ton of memes about it. So I think a lot of people, and a lot of the thing that doesn't get talked about in that documentary, and that's also, I think, underlying a lot of what was going on in this case, is that very, very strong patriarchal structure in the LDS church. And both of these cases, I think, because I think the in plain sight thing was all in the 1970s as well, I believe it maybe was. a little bit into the 1980s. But you know, there was this idea that men hold the priesthood, the man is the leader of the home, he is the priesthood leader in the home, and you listen to him and you do what he tells you to do. And I said before on this podcast, and I will say it again: patriarchy is the root of all evil. Because when you encourage that sort of mindset in people, that just because of somebody's gender, and they always like to tack on, well, as long as they're righteous, you know, but there's a lot of people in the church who have held church positions who did things that were very, very not righteous. They didn't come to light till afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so like I said, I, I'm with you on, I think, anything that has that sort of a hierarchical structure where people are given positions of power just because, most often because of gender, you know, and yeah. then they're quote unquote chosen in some way. That is a very, very dangerous mindset. And for me, like that's, that's a huge part of it. And another thing that another like example in my mind is the thought of how, a lot of these religions are super hypocritical and like, what are you teaching your children being this hypocritical? You know what I mean? 
So it's like, a lot of religions are like, God loves everybody, God forgives everybody, but not the gay. Right, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. And it's like, not if you do this or this or this, then God doesn't love you mm-hmm. or God won't forgive you. But just a second ago, God loved everybody. So like, it's just, it's, it's a very messed up thing. And I think mostly for children, because that's what they're raised in. Mm-hmm. And so like, I have this very like strong thought and hopefully this is what I actually do. I have a strong plan in mind <laughs> that I'm not, if my son wants to be a part of that, then cool. But I'm not going to force him into church every Sunday to listen to someone preach about something that's probably hypocritical that I don't believe in. If he wants to believe in it, cool. Good on you. You do what you need to do. Right. But I don't see, I mean, I see it working sometimes because they're not all bad. Not all churches are bad. Not all religions are bad. They're not all hypocrites. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of them that have good parts to them Mm -hmm. along with the bad parts. And that's where it really becomes difficult. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like I said, there's, there's a lot of stuff in here in this particular case that, granted, it's a very extreme case, and <laughs> and it's really, really awful and horrific on many, many levels. But like I said, when you start with this mentality of ingraining people or ingraining in people this idea that, you know, because he's the man, because he's the father you have to do everything he says. It's just wrong to me. And I mean, in another sense, because that also comes back on to, like, I'm trying to think, quote-unquote traditional households. Right. You know, it's always the man and the woman and then the children, Mm -hmm. and they... The man works, makes the money, the wife cooks and feeds and breeds and you know what I mean? (laughs) So it's, I feel like it's very reminiscent of that Mm -hmm. in the church system as well. But I mean, it's, and it's not always a bad thing. No. And like, you know, how some people go for it. And however a couple wants to divide, you know, the the <laughs> the difficulties of fam- or all the work that go and chores that goes into family life that's that's fine for them yeah. i'm not saying that there's any one blueprint that works for everybody the one thing that does have to be there though is you have to have two co-equal partners i don't believe in the whole somebody wears the pants or the skirt in the family that yeah. that to me just leads to all kinds of problems. It's taking away the autonomy of another adult, which I never think is a good idea. And I have a lot of personal background with this sort of stuff as well. Yeah. It's just kind of as a disclaimer. And so I get a little bit maybe more emotionally worked up about it than some people. But uh, like I said, I, uh, I'm i going to repeat it again. Patriarchy is evil. It just is. Yeah. Sorry. That was a, and like I said earlier, I felt like I cheated a little bit because when I was looking up cases, I did look into that one a little bit. Um, I didn't go as deep as to finding out anything about the the cult part. I had no idea about, um, I had basically just known about the main crime that had happened. And I think it's ironic that they claim that he was 
Jesus Christ and God and every, like, reincarnated, basically. Like, that's who he is. But I would like to know the kind of, like, structure around this religion cult thing that they have. Because I feel like there are a group of main things that almost every religion agrees on. Right. Certain things are bad. You don't do these <laughs> things. I'm pretty sure killing people's on the top of that list. Right. Well, that was one and of the suicide. things. suicide. Most, yeah, in most religions, yeah. suicide is very frowned upon. And Well, and that was one of the things that to me was so disturbing about the 2008 uh, online article that KSL had with that Matthias David. Because he, at, even in 2008, 30 years later, he was talking about how, what a great show of faith this was. You know, that they believed in him so much and didn't want to live without him. And I was... I mean, it was really stomach-churningly disgusting to read, Ugh. you know, that anyone thinking could be that twisted. And it makes me wonder, who the hell was the Foster family who took in this, this Rachel? Girl. Because as we know, very often foster care is relatives, and obviously she was still drinking the Kool-Aid. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't know what happened to her, and it just... it. It feels to me like this wasn't handled very well. Yeah. I, Do you know what I mean? I, and another thing that was really disturbing to me is in the original article that I read was there was, I think it was the police. I don't know if he was the police captain, but he was one of the policemen on scene. And they described him. He, he was Sergeant somebody. I can't remember his name. And he described himself as a friend of Emmanuel David's, like he knew him. And I just, you know what I mean? I was like, first of all, that sounds like a conflict of interest. Yeah. And second, like as a friend, I would, in my own mind, I would assume that means that you are probably a part of this cult, which is probably why things didn't get handled. Well, the way I, I, I don't get the feeling he was a part of the cult, but there's still, you know, you don't have to be a member of the cult. There's always, you know, there's this thing too about bystanders who don't do anything. Do you know what I, like they, so they just walk. see something, say something people. Yeah. Who just go, oh, well that's their beliefs or, and because it's, and, and that's like I said, what I find particularly disturbing about this is that the core or base of his beliefs were something that everyone else in his original church community shared. Granted, he took them to an extreme. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But he's just way further out on the continuum. But it's still part of the same continuum. Yeah. And that's what kind of worries me a little bit. You know, this idea that, well, he's the, the father, he's the patriarch, so he's allowed to take his kids out of school and keep them in a hotel room for several years and not let them go to school. You know what I'm, what I'm yeah. saying by that? And that to me is what just gets to me because I've seen that way too often over and over again. So yeah, I just, it's weird. It's weird that it's kind of solely based around a culty religion, but it's such a horrendous thing. But then again, that happens. It happens all the time in other, in other religions. It There's does. things behind the scenes that people don't see. Right. That's very much against what this religion that they're like so strongly preaching about and it's just, it's, 
there are problems with religion, and I think people need to open their eyes. Well, I think any it. institution of power is becomes problematical because then that institution of power, like they're more interested in protecting their power than doing the things you know. And like I said, we saw this with UPenn, with um, you know the the sex scandal that went on there, and there are other institutions that even when they don't have the cloak of religious authority are equally problematical. It's just, I think it's when you have position, you have people in power and then they become more interested in protecting their own power or their own brand maybe than they do in doing the right thing. Yeah. So. And it wasn't you, Penn, I think it was Penn State. Sorry, I can't remember. But and the Joe Paterno case. Yeah. All of that stuff. So I don't know. I think... I, yeah. I don't understand how hard it is. I, I mean, it's not that hard to do the right thing. You know what I mean? I feel like it's really not that hard of a thing to do. But people have other priorities, I suppose. And I mean, there's just some straight up bad people out there. True so. that. So... Well, thank you for listening. We will be returning to Utah on Thursday for Kaylin's case. Yep, which is something very, very different than we've ever covered before. Ooh. So, it's, All right. I'm, I'm pretty excited. excited about it. Check us out on Facebook. We've got our discussion page open. We've got Twitter and Instagram. If you have any suggestions, you can either get a hold of us on Facebook or email us at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.